again, it is great um, joining together as the church. Uh, we've been in the, the study of uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, in a sermon series called A Church Like Christ. We've moved through chapters 1, 2, and 3, studying every verse, and now we're starting into chapter number 4. And so today what we're going to do is take the first 10 verses of chapter number 4. So if you have a Bible, you can open that up, whether it's a paper Bible or it's on your um, electronic device, your mobile device, your iPad, um, open that up to Ephesians chapter 4. And then um, we're going to start in verse number one, and we're just going to move through the first 10 verses as we look at what God is speaking this morning from his word and um, seeing the challenge that's before us for understanding the characteristics and the source of Christian community. What does it look like? How does, how does Paul define it? How does Paul describe it? And what does that speak to us? But let's look at Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse number one. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I'm going to stop right there in verse number one, because I can't even get past the first few words where he says, therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. That therefore word, and you've probably heard this if you've listened to sermons before, but whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to know what it's there for. Am I right? So he's saying when he uses that word, therefore, he's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pivot word. It's like a hinge that begins to, to pivot what he's talking about. And he says, therefore, from everything that I've said before, there's this shift toward what I'm going to say next. So I'm setting up for you what comes next. So as I've talked in the first three chapters of this letter to you, the church in Ephesians, what I'm wanting you to see is out of all of this, out of the abundance of God's grace, out of the fullness of Christ Jesus, out of living like we talked about last Sunday with roots that grow down deep, there's this shift in Paul's language. And he says, therefore, because of all that God has done, here's what you are supposed to do. So it's in this place where it starts to shift that, that Paul is declaring for us that now it's time for us to get to work. And he's going to, in the next chapters, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, start to address some pretty heavy stuff in the, the church in Ephesians and Ephesus, and also some things that speak to us today. So when we see this, Paul, as he makes this pivot, he's reminding us that he wants us to embrace this reality of a new community that's identified through Christ Jesus, that's centered and grounded in Christ Jesus, that has roots that are growing down deep. And so as we look at this, as he says, therefore, what he's saying is out of the abundance of everything that God has done through Christ Jesus, now we have this responsibility. Here's where we start to step into our ownership into what God is speaking to us. And so he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all the humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what he's saying is, as, I, as I'm urging you forward in this, remember that, you know, I am, I am in change. Paul has been, as we talked about previously, Paul is in a Roman prison. He's literally writing, as he's wearing chains, he's been in prison for the message of Christ. But what he's saying is, I'm not imprisoned by the state. I'm not imprisoned by empire. I've been imprisoned on your behalf through Christ Jesus. And so out of this place of being imprisoned for Christ, I have now placed myself in a place of being a servant of all. 
Uh, and he's saying from this, like, I am urging you. And so there's two ways that we're going to look at this this morning, two, character, two categories that I want to look at. Is number one, th- we're going to look at what Paul describes in these verses in the characteristics of a Christian community. And then number two, the source of our Christian community. So first, the, the characteristics of Christian community. You know, Paul rattles off several words in here, some describing descriptive words that describes the character of a person who is following Christ and who is living in, in Christian community. Remember, Paul is redefining culture. He's coming to a place of saying, no longer are you going to live by your own standards. Everybody isn't going to have their own ways of, of, of relating and, and um, working out their faith, but we're going to live as one in Christ Jesus. Remember, he's talked about how we are one in Christ Jesus. The walls of hostility have been brought down. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer insiders and those who are outside to the faith. But through Christ Jesus, every person is welcome and brought in and has access. But as we come in, we're being redefined in a new way with a new culture. And so when we look at this, the characteristics of of this culture, of this Christian community, there's some words that Paul uses, and I want to quickly move through those words as descriptions for what our community should look like, for what our own very life should look like. You know, Paul rattles these off so fast that we may, it's very easy for us in reading it to kind of just blow right past it. But what we see here is he uses the words humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another, which sometimes gets translated as forbearance. Don't you love that word, forbearance? It feels very King James. It's a big formal word to basically say bearing with one another in love, that we're doing that out of love. And so we're going to look through these and we're going to study and and see, identify what Paul was referring to by seeing in some of other Paul's other writings what he means when he uses these very powerful words. But before we get into that, one of the things that you need to note, and especially if you're taking notes, I want you to, to write this down because this is something for you to ponder and to think about in the days to come. But what he's talking about here, these aren't just external virtues that we somehow try to take on to ourselves, but instead what he's doing is he's calling out what is already part of the God-given nature within Christian community. He's identifying and he's saying these things are within you when you are in Christ Jesus. These, these characteristics, these virtues, these, these very important values, they're already within you. And so what we have to do is not strive to obtain these characteristics, like somehow I have to find it as like something I got to pick up and put into my pocket to carry with me. But what we're doing is we're called to nurture them. We're called to strengthen them, to see them as developing as part of our process of being transformed. As we're transforming, as we're growing in Christ Jesus, these are some of the ways, these values, these virtues, these characteristics are some of the things that are the fruit that starts to grow as our roots go down into the love of God. We talked about that last Sunday and uh, last couple of Sundays about being um, rooted and grounded and having a deep roots that go down into a solid, firm foundation in the love of God. And so as those roots go down deep and they start to draw out the nutrients from God's love, what starts to happen as, those, as that, that plant of our soul, of our life starts to grow and it grows and grows stronger, there's going to be fruit that starts to be produced by our life. And Paul is saying those fruits that grow our humility, gentleness, patience, the ability to bear with one another in love, like those are the things that start to come out. And this isn't just like some random list of things that we try to teach kids when they're little of how to treat other people. Like he's saying this is a precisely identified portrayal of what's developed in our souls 
when God is doing that transforming work in our lives. So let's look at these words together. First is humility. Humility. Paul calls out humility. And I love uh, the, the joke about, you know, the, the man that said, I'm the most humble person I know. It's like it goes against uh, exactly what humility is, right? Humility is something that you don't typically want to just take on and identify yourself and go around as like, you know, in your Instagram bio or your descriptor on Facebook of like, very humble, like, that's not really as the humble brag, right? Like, that doesn't really work for what we say humility is. But what's important here is the word that Paul is using for humility. If you go back and look in the Greek, it's related to this idea of lowliness, uh, of, of coming under, of, of coming down or below. So what it, the term is typically used um, in, in Greek language outside of Paul's writing is actually a not a very desirable thing to be. In Greek culture, it was not desirable to be in this place of lowliness or humility. It was actually something that was used in a negative way to describe the lowest parts of culture, um, or maybe even those who were servants or slaves, to be able to say um, that they were, they were in this place of lowliness or humility. But the lowliness that, that Paul is talking about here, he begins to turn it around, and he starts to use it in a way that is a virtue that should be sought after, that should be nurtured and culturated in our lives, that talks about a lowliness of our minds, of our perception, this humble recognition of the worth and value of other people above our own selves. It's in the same humble mind that Paul connects it back to the attitude of Christ Jesus. He says that this is the, the attitude of Christ Jesus that brought Christ to empty himself and become a servant of all. It's this place, and we're going to look at the scripture in a few moments, where there's this emptying nature within Christ Jesus to empty himself of all of his privilege of all of what would be his assumed power and authority and come to a place of humility and lowliness. And so we see throughout the New Testament in Paul's writing and the teaching of Jesus that humility is actually inseparable from the ability to have unity. So we can't truly be in unity with one another within the body of Christ, within the church, if we're not able to uh, see this virtue and this value, this characteristic of humility growing in our lives. When we carry pride in our hearts and our lives, part of what happens is we start to contribute to the disunity or even a disruption of just the simple coming together of all people. You know, we've talked about how this is a radically new community that is um, a multi-ethnic, multicultural, international family, the body of Christ coming together. And how are we able to embrace and love the other if we hold on to pride in our own hearts? But we need to understand here, like, we can't be confused. Like, there's a distinction between um, pride and, and arrogance where we come into a place where humility says that it cuts against pride. It cuts against arrogance, and it, it's this place of saying, I am willing to put myself in a lower place than the other, not in a way of, you know, um, harming myself or devaluing myself, but realizing out of my identity in Christ Jesus, I am willing to hold up the other over myself. And instead of seeking, and this is so important, instead of us seeking a place of um, seeking out respect from others, like trying to demand and expect respect, which is, you know, uh, uh, actually identifies with pride, we're actually supposed to give respect to others and allow our God-given intrinsic value and worth 
that rests in all people, including ourselves, being the place that brings us our identity and our worth rather than us trying to seek it out, to try to prove it to other people or try to demand it from other people, either in explicit or implicit, underhanded ways, but a place of humility, of coming down, coming to this lowly place, but connected with it. Paul uses this word gentleness. So we see humility, but then he also uses the word gentleness. Sometimes it gets translated as meekness. And the meekness here is, is um, not about embodying like weakness or ineptitude, but what it is, it's actually the opposite. This meekness or this gentleness that Paul is talking about describes a person who actually has strength and understands his or her own strength, their own power, their own influence, but is willing to have self-control and is willing to deal with others in a place of grace and gentleness rather than using the authority or the control to try to influence and control others. Theologian Robert Finley explains it this way. He says, meekness is the absence of the disposition to assert your own personal rights, either within the presence of God or the presence of other people. So we do have this sense of our own rights, our own worth within Christ Jesus. But together in this place of humility, in this place of gentleness or meekness, as they come together, part of it is this willingness to release our own rights, our own demands on what we feel like we're deserved or what we're owed. But we're willing to relate to others from this place of a surrender to the other. We've talked about this of being others-minded rather than putting ourselves in the center of all of it. And when we do this, we, we recognize what we're doing is we're starting to display the character of Christ Jesus. This is who Christ Jesus was and continues to be. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. An important verse, I love these verses. These are verses I go back to so often. He writes, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, that place of humility. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And verse number four, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So he's using a similar, a similar way of identifying these, these characteristics. But then look what he says. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Although he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He's describing here our Lord, our Savior, Christ Jesus, the one who was fully God and then becoming fully man was willing to come to this place of humility, of meekness, of gentleness, and instead of coming in and, and like the Kool-Aid man kicking through the wall and like saying, I'm here to save the day, he comes in a gentle and a meek way. He comes in a humble and lowly way. And yet in the fullness of his identity that was in God, he was willing to surrender himself as, as a slave to all, to be put to death on the cross, a criminal's death, in a place of surrender on behalf of the other. I don't know about you, but I try to picture that for myself, and that seems near impossible. Would I really be willing to do that? Maybe in a situation of surrender for someone I deeply love, of, of being willing to, to put myself in that place of, to the point of death. But would I really be willing to surrender on that level for anyone? And yet Christ Jesus did. And I think about 
through our day-to-day, how many times we're not willing to not only just die on behalf of the other, like we see in Christ Jesus, but we're not willing to surrender on the behalf of the other just to let somebody else go when we both pull up at the stop sign at the same time and wave somebody else on. We're not willing to slow down and surrender enough to listen to another person when there's conflict and misunderstanding. We just want to barrel through with our own way. And yet, what is Paul calling out? For you to be the the community of Christ, for you to be in the body of Christ, what should be in you is humility. What should be in you is gentleness, this willingness to come down, to come to a lowly place, a place of meekness and surrender, of not being so committed to controlling the outcome of whatever the the relationship and the, the dynamic is that you're unwilling to actually surrender to the other, but slowing down and listening. But here's what happens, and here's the next couple of words that Paul uses. He says humility, and we must have um, this gentleness, this meekness, but he also ties in patience. Patience. Yikes. Here we go. You ready? (laughs) Patience. The word that's used here um, sometimes is is this steadfast endurance or or suffering of misfortune on on behalf of others. So what happens um, so often, though, is that um, this... This slowing down is a surrender on um, behalf of others, again, in a way that is patient and, and um, actually not retaliating when there's been hurt or harm that's done. And so sometimes when we talk about this idea of patience, um, we can, we can kind of laugh it off. Right? Yeah, I'm not, a very, I'm not a very patient person. I mean, you know, patience, that's good for everybody else, but to be patient, that's not really for me. You should see me drive. I'm not a very patient person. I keep going back to driving analogies, so you may know an area of weakness for me. But, um, you know, in, in relationships, what Paul, part of what Paul is calling out is saying, you should be patient. And this is not like a lighthearted suggestion to be patient. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're a person who's just willing to wait on others. What Paul is suggesting here is it's soul-level challenge for us to live from the way of Christ Jesus, to be a person who's willing to slow down and surrender on the behalf of Christ, on the example of Christ Jesus. So in a powerful way, Paul uses this same word to describe, that he's using to describe patience and, and humility that mirrors the way that Christians should be relating to one another. And as he writes in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? And so there's this dynamic that we see in the the identifying as patience where there's a patience that is a willingness to, to slow down and again, surrender on behalf of others, even when we feel like we've been harmed, even when we feel like there's been wrongdoing, but a willingness to actually surrender to the other to slow down and say, out of humility, out of gentleness, I will respond in patience. And patience is for the long run. Being a patient person means that we're willingness to slow down. That's the way, as Paul is saying, that God relates to us, that God identifies himself to us in saying that it's God's patience and his kindness that turns us away from our sin and brings us back into this perfect relationship with God. And he says, not only be patient, but bear with one another in love. This isn't a grin and bear it type of relating to one another, but it's the process of being transformed. In Galatians chapter six, Paul writes again, 
Share each other's burdens, this bearing with one another, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. As you share each other's burdens, as this mutual carrying the burden of the other, we are obeying the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Paul says it like it is. He tells us, look, none of you, and himself included, is that important that we're not willing to bear with one another in love, that we're not willing to carry the burden of another. But to truly be able to enter into that and within community, within Christian community, within the culture that Paul is talking about, requires all of these characteristics to come together of being a person who is humble, being a person who is gentle, being a person in that meek, lowly place that is willing to be patient with the other, being willing to believe the best about another person. It takes patience to do that. If we rush to conclusions about another person's intentions or motivation, we'll never have the ability to respond with gentleness if we're not patient first. But as he ties all of these together, look what he says, that you're doing all of this with love. All of these characteristics, you're bearing with one another in love, with love. In dealing with this whole list of virtues, Paul describes it in a similar way in his letter to the the Colossians. He writes this in Colossians chapter 3, using the similar word, similar language. Starting in verse number 12, he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. I mean, Paul, he kind of sounds like, what was the phrase? He sounds like a broken record, right? He's skipping. He just keeps kind of saying the same things repeated. But it's so important that to all of these churches that he's writing letters to all across Asia Minor, to these believers as the message of Jesus is going out, he's saying, look, these are the characteristics that should be defining the culture of your community. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are not simple things. These are important, deep soul things. And then he continues, verse number 13, make allowance for each other's faults. That's bearing with one another. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so forgive others. And then verse number 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. Love is this binding together, this bringing together body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. There is this inherent call in the message of Paul to be people who are clothed with love, who are identified as seen as people who are seen through the lens, through the filter of love. And the way that that happens, as we've talked about in previous weeks, is not a, this isn't a surface level, like I said, grin and bear it type of like, I'm going to make myself love you. But no, it's a way that as we allow our roots to grow down deep into the love of God, what we're drawing out of that is an ability to have a transforming way that we relate to one another. So we have to ask ourselves, and I I want you to think about this question. If you're taking notes, write this down. Think about this. And without without self-condemnation, without being hard on yourself, but listening to Holy Spirit, how have you been clothing yourself with the love of Christ? How have you been clothing yourself with the love of Christ? What is it in your, in your weekly pattern, in your daily way of living, that is allowing you to be clothed with the love of Christ Jesus? 
that then gives you the ability to see these characteristics growing in your life. And again, you need to, you, you got to deal with yourself with kindness and gentleness. That's the way that God would deal with you and is dealing with you as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. This isn't a heavy handed way, but it's asking yourself, like, how am I maintaining integrity in my life? Integrity is that wholeness through and through. The same when I'm, I'm alone or in a crowd of people, whether I'm inside the church or I'm, I'm out doing something else, like integrity is being the same through and through. And so how are you clothing yourself with the love of Christ Jesus so that all of these characteristics become the way that, that a person experiences you or the way a person relates to you? And Paul, uh, as, I, as I start moving toward the second point and to begin wrapping things up, he says in Ephesians um, chapter 4, verse number 3, he, he uses these important words. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He uses that word, be eager to maintain it. This eagerness is a, is a desiring. It's a like anticipation. Like I, I am eager to maintain the unity that comes out of relating to one another in a, in a community, in the culture that's forming, using these characteristics. Another theologian, um, and I love this. It's a little bit longer quote, but I'm going to read it to you because I love his intensity. Marcus Barth says this. He says, it is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb that we use as eager. So when we use that word eager, we can't really capture in English how intense that word is. What he says is not only is it haste and passion, but it's full of an effort for the whole person. It's meant to involve the whole person's will, sentiment, reasoning, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative mood is of, the, of the Greek word is saying that, there, um, that it excludes any ability to have passivity or quietism or just this wait-and-see attitude or um, just like uh, holding, withholding oneself. What Paul is saying here is yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it now. You are to do it right now. You have to mean it. These are the overtones of verse number three. He's saying, for you to experience all of this, we have to be eager to maintain the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at that, the only way that we can truly maintain that, that unity that comes from the Holy Spirit is coming from what we see as number two, the source of our Christian community, the source of, of the culture that Paul is identifying here. And the source of that is that it flows from the oneness of God through the Holy Spirit. That gives us the ability to maintain the unity. Let's look at the remaining verses for this morning, and I want to share just a few thoughts as I begin to, to wrap this up. So in the picking up in verse number four, Paul's just described all of these characteristics, and he says you need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the, and the bond of peace. And then he says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that that belongs to your call, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's quoting uh, a kind of a partial quote reference to Psalm 68. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions of the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So one of the things that we immediately see is Paul says over and over, one, there is one God, there is one baptism, there is one faith. In, the, in just these few verses, he uses that word one seven times. He's, he's talking about this oneness that is in the nature of God that enables us to be able to move and exist and have our being, that it's in the unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's this mysterious challenge for us to live with the same attitude of oneness, of unity. We are able to be one and unified because God is one and God is unified in God's nature. So there's in a way it's so disruptively simple. It comes out of the oneness of God's nature that we are called to live with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with this forbearance of bearing with one another in love. It's so deceptively simple. Those are the things that define Christian community. And our place to be able to encounter that comes from the oneness of God's spirit this enabling that God gives us to be able to live and experience one another in this way. Now, what I want us to see, and this is so important as we begin to, to wrap this up this morning, is that in this unity that comes from the, the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes people will look at the church or, you know, the church more universal, you know, across the country or around the world, or maybe even like one local church that is not in unity or, or the diversity of churches and different types of churches and different types of Christian faith and Christian expression all around the world and say, how do you call that unified? How is that really unity? It seems almost the opposite. It seems like a whole lot of disunity and just using the same type of name to describe it all. And so what, we want, what I want us to see here is something that, that Paul is addressing that is a call for us to work toward and to maintain. There's a difference between the invisible unity that exp is experienced within the unity found within God and then a visible unity that can be seen and expressed by others. So an invisible unity is the inseparable nature of any person who is in Christ Jesus. It's like almost like we have like the the same DNA, like we're just, like we are, like it's inseparable, like we are identified with one another. And so maybe we, we do look a little different and maybe the songs we sing in churches are a little different or maybe the, the expressions of Christian faith are different. Maybe even in the, in the makeup of people, we are different, but within this invisible unity that exists within humanity that, that is in Christ Jesus, we are one. We are united. Now, what happens, though, is that is the part that is found and derived from the Holy Spirit. That is, we can't, we can't destroy, we can't separate it. God has said that we are one in Christ Jesus. But there is the visible unity that we are called to maintain, that we are called to be responsible for. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, chapter 3, or Ephesians 4, verse number 3, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity. That is that visible unity, that tangible unity that gets disrupted by our disagreements with one another, that gets disrupted by our impatience with one another, that gets disrupted by our inability to just humble ourselves and deal with one another in meekness. We experience it not just within the church family, but within our own families. We may still belong together and be related to one another, but there may not be a whole lot of that visible unity, right? And so what Paul is showing us here is this, this coming together that starts to exist where he, he kind of juxtaposes this, 
this invisible unity that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit of like, you are united with one another and there's nothing you can do about it. You belong to one another because you are in Christ Jesus. And yet at the same time, he's saying that's the invisible, per, imperm, like just completely permanent unity that is there. But you have a responsibility to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit that is that visible unity that out of that is the world's ability to understand my, God's love for you and your love for one another. That visible unity is our responsibility to carry and to maintain. It's our responsibility to tend to that. And so that's why he uses these words of urgency. He says, you have to do it and do it now. He's addressing things that are going on in the church in Ephesus um, centuries ago, and we're going to see some of his continue to address that as we get into the rest of chapter 4, 5, and 6. But we have to realize that in the same way Paul is speaking to us today, and he's, he's saying, you have a responsibility. What are you doing to maintain that visible, tangible sense of the unity of Christ Jesus within the community of faith now, within your home? Within your communities, what are you doing to, to tend to that? Are you allowing these characteristics that are found as your roots go down into the deep love of God to transform who you are? Now, I want us to understand something here, and this is important where I'm going to wrap things up this morning. Sometimes when we get um, in a conversation like this and we start dealing with some of these characteristics of like humility and gentleness and and we hear this call to being in unity with other people, it can, it can almost feel overwhelming. It can actually put us in a place where we go, you know what? I, I can't do it. I don't, I don't have the ability. I've, I've tried it before, and I continue to fail. I just fail over and over and over again. Like, maybe that's just not for me. And so then we kind of find ourselves sort of passively just checking out and saying, I can't do it. And what we have to see is when we find ourselves in that place, part of what's happening is it's, it's allow, we're allowing fear to set place in our heart and our spirit and our soul of saying that somehow we're not strong enough. Somehow we, we don't have the ability to really embody what Paul is talking about here. And so we laugh it off and go, ah, I'm just not a very patient person. You know, that's for somebody else. I'm trying to teach my kids. Like, I, and what Paul is saying here is like, there, there is an ability for you to understand that this isn't like, you know, either you have it or you don't. But when you are in Christ Jesus, these characteristics are to be part of your life. And the only way for you to have those is to have the work of God happening in you. And it's really important. I think this is why he brings in this reference to Psalm 68. He reminds us that there is this liberation, this being set free that comes from being in Christ Jesus. And so he makes this reference to Psalm 68. And when Paul kind of quotes it, he says, therefore, when he, when Christ ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He was setting them free and he was giving them gifts. It's like Paul is saying, don't, don't forget like you are being set free when you are in Christ Jesus. And so you don't have to be in bondage to fear. You are no longer a slave to the things of this world. You have been set free as captive ones that, that Christ is leading out. You have been set free. Those chains have been broken off of you and you are now free in Christ Jesus. And he is giving you gifts. And what are the gifts he's giving you? It's not wealth. It's not success. It's not the things that this world uses to measure gifts and blessings. He's saying you're being given gifts that look like patience. You're being given gifts that look like humility, a meekness, a gentleness. Those are the gifts that you're being given. And why is Christ Jesus giving you those gifts? Because 
That is who Christ Jesus is. And he wants you to look like him. He wants you to be like him. And so there's this place to be able to slow down and to actually embrace what God is speaking to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are not a a lost cause. God didn't pass over you whenever he was giving out these gifts. So even if they don't feel very strong in your life today, understand that as you allow the work of God to continue transforming you, you'll begin to see the expressions of this in your life. Remember how Paul started off this verse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here. I know I've said that a couple of times, but I'm wrapping up here. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Paul, in the beginning, reminds them, hey, guess what? I'm a prisoner. I, I've been placed in chains on behalf of Christ but I am a prisoner for the Lord. I am no longer bound to the things of this world. My heart, my soul are bound to the things of Christ Jesus. And that is inseparable. So even though my physical body may be bound and may be fallen and and it may not be able to live as freely as I want it to be in my heart and in my soul, I am continually being set free because my, my freedom is found in Christ Jesus is what Paul is saying. He's reminding them of the fact that there is freedom for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that is how we get to live today, with that same place of freedom. So I want to encourage you, as we move into a place of uh, applying this to our own hearts and, and our own lives, and then um, to desire to see this being the way that um, define these characteristics define our own Christian community, the culture of how we relate to one another. Understand that these are not easy, simple, like set it and forget it type things. Paul is saying like you have to maintain it. You have to work toward it. You have to tend to it, just like doing maintenance of upkeep and gardening to be able to see the best fruit on the vines. But the way that we experience that in collective within community is that we're experiencing it individually as well. And so it comes to a place of us cultivating these things in our lives, of doing some intentional work within our lives that help us to to maintain that unity of peace. Some of the things that we can do to begin to see humility, gentleness, patience, ability to bear with one another in love is a willingness to just slow down and become aware of others. The community of faith is not a fast-paced, rapid, like, go nonstop. That's that's our world's culture. That's, that is our American culture. But the community of faith, it slows down. We move in, in, in God time, which is slow pace, rather than fast, go, go, go. It's being willing to actually ch- change our routine and transform our routines to, to live in a different schedule and rhythm to our day and our week. Allowing ourselves to spend time meditating on God's word, not just reading the Bible because, well, I'm doing a reading plan and I want to check off the next thing on the list, but actually meditating on God's word, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring those words alive and speak to us in our lives, in our hearts. Maybe it's us moving into a place of even um, getting some, some actual professional help and, and um, through counseling or therapy or other things that would help contribute to us being able to live more free. If we struggle with seeing humility or gentleness or patience in our life or ability to deal with one another in love, there may be some roots of things that have have kind of gone down into the soil of our life that we need some help uprooting. Gardeners don't go out and just empty-handed tend to the garden. They've got tools. 
Sometimes it takes some next level tools. You got to take some soil samples and have somebody tell you what's missing here, what nutrients need to be added in. So maybe there's some work you need to do with uh, bringing somebody else alongside you, whether a pastor like Pastor Kristen or myself or, or a counselor or a therapist, or maybe going and seeing the doctor and talking about that thing that just keeps going on and on and addressing some things. Maybe it's coming to a place of just being in a, an attitude and a position of forgiveness, both receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness. Maybe it's to other people in, in your life, but maybe it's related to God as well, of receiving God's forgiveness, of being transformed. And then out of that place, there is this freedom. Remember, Christ Jesus is the one who is leading the captives out, setting them free and giving them gifts. This is what we want to see in our hearts and our lives today. Here's what I would like to do. I'm going to invite um, a few of our musicians to come up, and I'm going to pray a word of prayer for us as we transition into a, a place of reflection and response. One of the things that has been so important for us in this, um, in this season is uh, listening to what God is speaking and then giving ourselves some time to respond to it. And so even though you're, you may be watching online today or you're here in the room with us and, and you're seated alongside somebody else or, uh, you know, with family, um, we want to invite you to take just a few moments to slow down, to hear what God has been speaking from Scripture today to you through the Holy Spirit and to bring you into a place of, of responding and just saying, yes, Lord, here I am. Christ Jesus, have all of me. Can you pray with me now? God, I thank you for the way that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for the amazing way that your scripture is so alive and true even today. God, as we study your words and we see the, the call from Paul to, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit, we recognize, God, that that is not a simple task that we've been called to. And yet we can approach it with eagerness because we realize if you call us to it, you will give us the strength and the ability to see that work done in our lives, in our families, and in our community. Lord, may you do that within our church today to continue to transform the culture of even this church so that we would be a people who are identified as ones who are humble, who deal with each other in love and gentleness, who are patient. Lord, we believe it today, and so, God, we trust you for it. I pray, God, that in the next few moments we have together that you would speak to us by the Holy Spirit. God, that you would give us just a simple next step that we can take to move forward in what you have for us today. God, I pray that you would continue to set people free and that you would lead the captive ones out of captivity into the fullness and freedom that you have called us to. Lord, we receive it from you today. We believe you for it. And we pray all of this in the wonderful name of Christ Jesus. Amen.